My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Seth Early. He is a sought-after speaker, writer, and influencer. He is the author of the AI-Powered Enterprise from Lifetree Media, which was released in April 2020. In 2021, the book received the Axiom Business Book Silver Medal in the Artificial Intelligence Robotics Algorithms category. He's an expert with 20 plus years of experience in knowledge strategy, data and information architecture, search-based applications, and information findability solutions. Seth has worked with a diverse roster of Fortune 1000 companies, helping them to achieve higher levels of operating performance by making information more findable, usable, and valuable through integrated enterprise architectures supporting analytics, e-commerce, and customer experience applications. He has a whole list of publications, different magazines that he's been in. Uh, he is a former editor. Um, he wrote a regular column on data and analytics and information access. Uh, well, let's just dig in. I mean, <laughs> Your expertise is is widely acknowledged. So uh, let's uh, let's dig in and uh, just, man, Seth. Thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to have this conversation with me. Thank you, Dave. It's great to be here. And and I didn't mean to have you uh, list all those uh, accolades, right? I mean, who cares? It's like what 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 do you, what can you do for me today? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, well, I I think it's pretty impressive. That's why I read the whole whole thing because. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm really impressed with with your bio and uh, just the the list of things that you've accomplished. But more importantly, before we even started uh, recording, uh, one of the things that we touched on is, you know, you've had your fair share of failures, oh, and yeah. <laughs> this this level of success doesn't just get handed to you. You know, you've got to yeah. work for it and yeah. and sometimes uh failure is the the best teacher so oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> I, you, people used to say well you know when you fail and and you have adversity it builds character and i would say you know what <clears throat> i have enough character now thank you <laughs> <laughs> i don't need more failure <laughs> yeah. but somehow failure comes to to find me <laughs> well you but, know it 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 seems that all those that are achieving or attempting to achieve more, those that are pushing themselves beyond their comfort uh, level, those are the ones that achieve uh, greater levels of uh, awesomeness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're the ones yeah. putting themselves out there and risking and most likely to fail. That's right. And, you know, I think in a way, if you're uh... If you don't fail, you're really not trying hard enough, <laughs> you know, like you, you really got it, as you say, you got to get outside your comfort zone. And the only way to do something new is to stretch yourself, right? And to say, well, I haven't done this and I'm afraid and I'm afraid I might fail, but you know what? 
you got to embrace failure. You got to say, you know what? I may not get it right, but I'm going to keep going. And if I get up and I, you know, swing again, as long as you can keep up, keep going up the bat, you know, what's failure? What's failure? As long as you can keep getting up and doing it again and trying again, you know, there's really no such thing as failure. You, I like to say you either you win or you learn, right? You win or you learn. Failure is really a learning. And that's all there is to it. And the only way to be able to get to know some new capability, some new business, some new, uh, you know, educational achievement, whatever it is, some new service, you got to try, you know, you got to try and you can't be afraid to fail. Most people are just really afraid of that failure. They're afraid of what other people will think. But you know what? You can't worry about that. You can't care about what people will think if you if you don't knock it out of the park or if you don't hit it or even if you strike out. It's like, you can't worry about that. You have to say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to do it for my family. I'm going to do it for my community. I'm going to do it for my country. I'm going to do it for whatever higher purpose you have and, and not worry about the, 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 the bumps in the road and the obstacles. And I hit them all the time. You know, I had some last week. (laughs) It's like, it's like a daily thing, man. You're always going to hit disappointments. You're always going to have things that don't go the way you want them to. And you just got to be able to embrace that. And that's kind of how I've done things my really my whole life. Let's dig into that. Let's dig into the beginning of your life. Sure. Uh, where where were you born and raised and what was your early life like? So, um, you know, I was born in New York and, you know, I, 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 I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed to share that my background was not the best. Right. Um, my, my parents both had some issues and, you know, they struggled. My, you know, my father struggled with uh, alcohol. My mother struggled, struggled with, you know, prescription medications back in, you know, the sixties and the seventies when all that stuff was like candy. Right. And um, so that wasn't a good, that wasn't a good start. You know, it was not a good upbringing, but, you know, I think everybody can identify with adversity. Everybody can identify. Nobody has a perfect upbringing. Nobody has, you know, a life that's rainbows and unicorns. So, you know, I started with a lot of adversity, you know, and I started with kind of a, you know, uh, an ability to fend for myself. You know, I was a latchkey kid before there were latchkey kids. (laughs) And so, you know, it was interesting, but, um, you know, it's made me who I am today. I mean, it was not very happy (laughs) growing up. And it wasn't until, you know, I was a teenager that I started to you know, get some support from people who, um, uh, you know, from public uh, uh, sources, you know, not from home, but from people who cared about me. I went to a school that was kind of a charter school. And um, that's the first time, you know, I met people who really took an interest in me. And, and you know, I was failing. I was failing all my subjects. I was, you know, I, I, I like to say I had uh, life, consecutive life sentences of major detention meaning I could never get out of major detention. Like there was nothing else they could do because all my, my whole year was filled up with detention. (laughs) It's like, you have no other, you have no other way to go. Right. So um, I didn't care. And because I didn't feel like anybody cared about me. And it wasn't until there were people around me who saw my potential and saw my ability and, you know, they started caring about me and that's when I started caring. And so that's something that kids need today more than anything. You know, they need people who can be role models. They need people who can stand up for them. They need people to pay attention to them and hear them and listen to them and help them understand that they are valuable and that they have abilities and that they can do the things they want to do. A lot of kids just don't grow up with that. You know, I mean, if you grow up with that, that's great. You know, then you can build on that. 
But, you know, you're always going to have adversity. But, um, you know, a lot of kids just uh, these days, especially, you know, especially in underrepresented populations, you know, they don't have the support, you know, they don't have the background, they don't have the foundation, but um, you can still, it can still strengthen your character, but it can be a tough road. Uh, how old were you when, when you first started getting some one-on-one -on -one attention and, and feeling oh. that somebody who cared about you? And I was probably, about your success. probably when I was around 14, we moved from uh, New York, uh, right when I was in seventh grade. <clears throat> I also went to a, a school in New York where I was a minor minority. Uh, I was one of the only uh, white kids <laughs> in my, in my class, you know, it was all, you know, uh, I was, I was the minority and, you know, and so that gave me a different perspective too. Right. But then I came to uh, Boston and I had a New York accent and it was very different culture and it was really a, um, it was a culture shock and I was not, um, it was very cliquish and they had, you know, all their, they, you know, they were into hockey. I never played hockey. You know, they they talked funny, you know, I talked funny. Right. And so it made it even more difficult. And I stood out by being funny. You know, I stood out by, by uh, getting in trouble <laughs> in class and but it wasn't until I, I switched to this other school that, um, you know, I started getting really one on one attention. And I started getting teachers that, you know, could see that I had potential, you know, and could start to relate to me and start to, you know, break through because I was really I wrote everything off. I was like, I, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, and I had trouble and you know, I had a lot of challenges, you know, it was not easy. But um, but it was at that time between my my age 14 and 16 but I really started to, you know, get a sense of self and get a sense that I could, I could um, be successful. You know, uh, I remember uh, my, my parents used to say that they didn't have money to put me through college. So I wasn't going to go to college or if I went to college, it had to be an athletic scholarship, but then they wouldn't let me play football. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, But, you know, it was hard because I always thought, you know, I'm just going to, I just wanted to go to vocational high school, which would have been fine too. Um, but I ended up going to college and I ended up, you know, uh, actually in, interested in science and I, I got a degree in chemistry of all things. I never worked in chemistry, but some of my clients are in, in the life sciences space. But um, but yeah, it was um, it was quite a journey, you know, through those those years. Those are very, very difficult. And, you know, you still have baggage. Everybody carries baggage, you know, throughout your life from your, you know, you spend the what do they spend? the I spent the last 40 years or 50 years overcoming the first 15, right? <laughs> or, four, or, or 10. So you know, work in progress, you know, work yeah. in progress. I'm probably oversharing here, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is great. Uh, so many of the conversations I've had on here, this definitely wasn't what I, where I thought it was going to go. It's always that, preconceived notion of, you know, seeing a white guy that has been very successful. Mm. I mean, I automatically thought that you had a, a pretty great life growing up. And, mm. and, uh, you know, I was thinking maybe there was some coaches out there, you know, and mm. your, your football team that had mm. mentored you along with mm. your father, you know, this was, yeah. But yeah, when, when I, I've talked to some really, really interesting people, very successful people, mm. and it mm -hmm. seems the ones that have achieved some of the the greatest, mm. um, well, really uh, accomplished authors, mm. really accomplished uh, 
entrepreneurs, mm. you know, their early life was not easy. Mm. Yeah. And it yeah. was, you know, maybe that adversity that yeah. uh, really developed that drive yeah. to, uh, to achieve more. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, you learn resilience, right? Because it, it's not, you know, you, you just learn to deal with disappointment. You know, you de- learn to deal with, with, uh, you know, your emotions and sometimes not in a great way, but, you know, but you, you learn to, you know, handle adversity, right? And everybody has adversity. And, you know, even people, like you say, you think, you know, you look at my accomplishments and my book and my business and blah, 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 blah. And you say, oh, wow, this guy must have had this awesome upbringing, but, you know, that's not always the case, right? And you can't, you can't tell, you know, but, but I think when you, when you really dig deep, to, for anybody, you know, there's always trauma in people's lives, right? There's always trauma in people's lives. And none of us kind of escapes without it. <laughs> and, and it, even if you have a great upbringing, right? You know, there's still yeah. stuff that, you know, that affects you. And and that's just the nature of the beast. That's called being a human being, you know? Um, but yeah, it taught me a lot. And, and I think it, it gave me a, a drive. And also, you know, I wanted to achieve something, you know, I wanted to, um, Excel. I wanted to, you know, build something. I wanted to help people. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to do something with what I had gone through, you know, and um, still, still learning how to, how to help people. But, you know, I think maybe sharing here is a, is a good, uh, a good avenue for that. Well, at what point did you know that you wanted to go into artificial intelligence? Mm. Well, this is a really good question, right? Because Artificial intelligence didn't kind of really exist back when I started my business, right? It was it was more information management. And yeah, AI has been around for a long time. Like they, you know, one of the things about artificial intelligence is it's really not that mysterious, right? There's, the, it, people make it, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of noise, a lot of nonsense, there's a lot of BS out there in the marketplace. And uh, I like to, I have a joke, um, you know, how do you tell, uh, do you know the difference between a an ai software salesperson and a used car salesperson do you know the difference no the the used car salesperson knows when they're lying <laughs> people don't know what ai is even the people selling it don't know what it is right and they they label everything as ai and back in the day when when ai was you know kind of emerging one of the first applications for artificial intelligence was word processing word right like laying out a a document because you took a typesetter's expertise and you translate it into a program that could automatically apply all of that knowledge and expertise and 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 ability to lay out a nice document and you could just do it you know very easily that used to not be the case right you used to have to have you know typesetters and used to have your special codes and all this stuff so spell so you know the, the the joke used to be that uh, back in the day, no AI worked because as soon as it worked, they called it something else. <laughs> like voice recognition is AI, right? Spell check is AI. Word processing is AI. There's AI in a lot of stuff. Search is AI. In fact, machine learning has been part of search for decades, right? And, you know, there's been a lot of advances and there's been a lot of changes, but, you know, you can kind of think of it in a couple of simple ways. One type of AI helps you deal with a lot of data, like a lot of information. Let's say you have all these bank transactions or you have all these loan applications or something like that. Maybe you're a mortgage broker or whatever, or you're, 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 you know, you have lots of transactions. Well, 
who's going to be a good customer? Who's going to be a bad customer? What's a fraudulent loan application look like versus a legitimate loan, right? And you can look for those patterns in huge amounts of data. When you have you know, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions, the AI can pick up those patterns and it can say, hey, this looks fraudulent, right? So it can identify things that a human can't identify. And that works across lots of different areas, you know, credit risks, you know, financial transactions, uh, security, uh, you know, cybersecurity, like, you know, a lot of big organizations have lots of these incidents that are happening in these patterns, they get all these alerts. Well, what's really, you know, who's really attacking you versus what is normal activity, right? And it may seem obvious, but it's not always obvious, right? Because the, 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 the attacks can be so subtle. So part of machine learning and AI can take a large amount of data and, and broil it down and give you an insight. Like it can be as simple as, you know, you have a company that is um, trying to do planning for capacity in your, you know, your, your, uh, your weather dependent. Maybe you're, you have a landscaping business, but you have a lot of different locations, a lot of landscapers, but you need to predict, well, when do I need people? When do I not need people? And you can use past weather patterns and, new data and weather predictions to kind of say, well, how do I need to balance my employees, right? How do I need to balance my supply and my demand? Or um, if you have a large number of potential customers and you have a big database of customers, how do you prioritize? How do you know who's a good customer, right? So AI can do stuff like that. And then the other part of AI is one that is called cognitive AI, meaning it's about how humans interact with computers, right? So the, the first AI is, is looking at large amounts of transactions and data and trying to make predictions, right? And trying to identify patterns. And the second kind is saying, make it easier for me to interact with the computer. So you have like a conversational assistant, right? A, a, a bot, a chat bot. But these things are pretty bad today, right? They're, they're not good. They, they fail. You know, you can get some stuff with Siri and you get stuff with Alexa and you can you know, you can uh, do, uh, you know, you can, you can uh, do speech search, right? You can search verbally, you can do all that stuff. But, but a lot of the bots are not very good. And there's a scenario in my book where uh, we know one day they're going to be good, right? We're going to be, they're going to be really good. They're going to be conversational. It's going to be like interacting with people. But, but the point is they don't think there's no cognition. They're called cognitive AI, which really makes it sound like they're thinking, but there's no thinking, Right it reduces the cognitive load on a human. What's the cognitive load? It's easier to do the task or the job without overworking your brain, right? Cognitive load, it's like cognitive computing or um, you know, uh, you're, whenever you're making things easier for people, you're making it easier on their brains and you're reducing what's called the cognitive load. You don't have to think, right? So that's what we're trying to do when we have these uh, bots and virtual assistants that you can ask questions of. And that one day will be like on Star Trek where you can ask questions of the computer and the computer will give you answers. But the only way to do that is to actually tell the system what the answer is, right? So you have to program it to do all that stuff. And that's where, you know, chatbots are dumb, right? They're a channel. They're only as good as the information that you have. So let's say you're trying to find, um, you know, maybe you're, you know, in terms of, uh, Maybe you're a fire inspector and you're, you need to know what the codes are for a particular building, or you need to see if something meets code, right? It's getting that reference material rather than opening up a book. You could ask a virtual assistant, right? You could do that. Or, you could, or if you're an insurance adjust, adjuster, you can take a picture of, of an accident 
and these these uh, these applications can give you estimates, you know, automatically. Right? That's a little bit different. That's that's more visual um, recognition. Uh, uh, but but the point here is that you know we can use these things to make it easier for you to get answers. Right? Whenever you go to a website and you say, "Oh, this website's really great," it's because somebody thought through what your task was and what you were trying to do and who you were. And we have to do the same thing with these these virtual assistants and these cognitive applications, right? We have to program them. We have to tell them they're dumb without the information. So we have to tell them what uh, the answers are. And so that's why it requires knowledge. And so a big part of this is, you know, how do you structure and organize the knowledge that's needed in your business? Uh, and how are you going to um, make that knowledge and information available to your customers and to your employees. And there's a lot of work that's being done in that area right now. Um, there's a lot of that work being done in call centers, right? So, you know, that's that's an area that's going to be, we're going to see a lot more of that as well. And they're going to be better. One day they're going to be good. <laughs> that's the nature of technology. It just gets better and better and better, right? Yeah, well, let's, let's rewind a little bit. And uh, your business right now, is it the same entity that you started was is it your first business yeah. iteration i know it's funny i just talked to a guy today who's have sold seven different businesses that all started with the same ideas right and yeah this is my business right and this is the one that i've been building over the years and um we but we've reinvented it a lot right like we used to do work with um back in the day with lotus lotus notes lotus uh, and ibm i don't know if you remember that but yes. used to say lotus did poorly what nothing else could do at all you know, and then uh, and then we worked at Microsoft and we built SharePoint applications and that sort of stuff. And then we started getting into what's called semantics, semantic technology, which is building out all of these different organizing principles so that you can use natural language to get results. Right. And you can improve search and you can improve information findability. Some of the work we do right now is with large um, organizations have have big, big product catalogs like, you know, the Honeywell's of the world or the 3Ms of the world or you know, uh, HEBs or Walmart that have large amounts of products and you want to make that those products easier to find. So that's kind of a bread and butter project for us is uh, organizing those product catalogs. And what is the name of your your organization? It, it's called Early Information Science. And it's early is spelled E-A-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget the E before the Y. So it's early.com, but with an E before the Y. So early information science. And again, we work in areas of content. Uh, and and so, so getting back to when did I want to go into artificial intelligence, I really never thought of it from that perspective. I always thought of it from the information and the information architecture perspective. Like just like if you're going to build a house, you don't start digging holes and pouring foundations. You have a design, you have a plan, you maybe you hire an architect. We're the architects to build the information house, right? When you look at a website or you look at any application, you know, you have to have certain foundational structures in place, right? And so, you know, it's just like uh, understanding the requirements and you need different plans. Just like if you're building a house, you need you need a foundation plan and a framing plan and a, an HVAC plan and a wiring plan and uh, plumbing and, and, you know, and all of these different uh, uh, looks and reviews of that, that, uh, that construction. And the same thing happens in, in our information world, right? we're building a website or building an application or building a knowledge base, we need to have these different views. We need to build out different elements of that architecture. So that's what we do. We're the architects 
And I wrote an article a number of years ago called There's No AI Without IA. There's no artificial intelligence without information architecture, right? Because you can't, the machines can't figure out what's important to the business. They don't know your products. They don't know your services. They don't know your solutions. So you have to tell it that. You have to define that stuff. And that's where the architecture comes in. So, you know, right now there people are calling it hybrid AI because they're saying, well, it's machine learning plus they call it symbolic AI, which is just a na fancy name for knowledge, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Just knowledge representation, meaning, you know, how do you describe this, these things? Like, here's a contract. Well, if I had a thousand contracts in a pile, like a contract is what it is. If I hand it to you, this is the isness. If I had a thousand different, if I had a thousand contracts in a pile and I want to put them in smaller piles, how would I, how would I tell them apart? Well, maybe it's contract type. Maybe it's a a uh, real estate contract versus a, an employment contract, right? And then maybe it's uh, geography, or maybe it's, uh, if it's a project, it's a, maybe it's a statement of work, or maybe it's a size project or type of project, right? So, so that becomes what's called the aboutness. And that is the information architecture, right? It's isness and aboutness. And that's how you describe everything. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, every organization, you have to build the, what are called taxonomies, which is just a, hierarchy it's just a way of describing the terminology and the things that are important the product categories you know think of uh you know uh boston is in massachusetts which is part of the united states that's a hierarchy that's called a taxonomy right and so in organizations you build you know taxonomies that describe all your different products services locations uh document types you know employees customers right different types of customers so all of those things have to be defined in order for AI to work. And that's the foundational work that needs to happen. People need to build uh, their knowledge, they need to get their knowledge house in order, and they need to be able to build the architecture. And those are the pieces that are that are necessary for, for any digital business. It's interesting what you were just saying. So I'm gonna sum it up a little bit and add a little bit to it. Uh, just for clarification. So you help other companies or organizations develop their AI by taking their information and and creating really a foundation for all of that AI to operate off of. Or it's 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 the the skeleton and the musculature right. and all of that. That's right. That's right. In but fact, what... we call it the scaffolding. It's the knowledge scaffolding, right? It's how you, it's like all the categories that you put documents on and all your, your information on. But behind all of that mm -hmm. are, you know, people like you or your, uh, your team that goes in and flushes out all of that information that's right. that's that right. is important. And that's puts, right. so that's, what's really interesting to me is, is knowing the right questions to ask to get the the executives or whoever is uh, mm -hmm. really putting this stuff in place and putting it into action, how, what questions do you ask to get the right information That's right. to utilize? That's right. That's right. That's critical. And so what we do is we build what are called scenarios and use cases. And use cases, well, what, what do you have to do? It's like a day in the life. What do you have to do? You're an insurance underwriter. Well, you need prior claims data and you need, you know, loss histories and you need risks and you need to know the policy and you need to know all these different factors. You need to know about the business, right? That's, that's, those are use cases. I need this information. So if whatever your job is, 
what are the things you need to find in order to produce your, your output, your work, right? If you're a marketer, you need to know about, you know, the markets and the business types and the, the messaging and information about the product and, you know, what the right channel is. You know, if you're uh, an attorney, you need to know about case law and you need to know prior uh, examples of these cases and you need to know the facts of the of the uh, current suit. You need depositions and you need, you know, documentation. You need all these things to do your job. And so that's the use case, right? And so everything boils down to what is it you need to do your job day to day, right? What is that information that you need? And if you don't have that information, you're either going to be stuck or you're going to ask for some, ask somebody or you got to find it or you are going to create it again. Right. And that causes friction that causes, you know, a, a um, problems with productivity. Right. So the whole idea is making it easier for people to find that information, making it easier for it to flow throughout the entire organization, but asking those questions like, what do you need? <laughs> you know, what's your biggest pain point? What's your problem? Right. Are the things that, help you get to that place where you can say this is the information people need and then again if i take a kind of information and i say well how do i tell a thousand of those things apart you know the isness how do i tell a thousand that's when you put it in other piles and you define the aboutness right and that is the information architecture and then you can do things like you know if you think of it from a product perspective like you know, you can search on brand and price and size and color you know and style right those are all aboutness right if it's a shirt well what are the things i can tell you about a shirt if i have a thousand shirts in a pile <laughs> all color <laughs> size you know uh, style you know uh, price brand right those are all those attributes so defining all those things about products or information is really the place to um, start making it easier to find that stuff can can we dig in a little bit to your book the ai sure. powered enterprise sure. now who, who did you write this book for mm. Well, it's funny. I wrote it um, to help to explain to businesses what they need to do to be successful with AI. And it's more about the IA. <laughs> it's more about the information architecture. And people, you know, it's funny because some business people think it's too technical and some technical people think it's not technical enough. So I kind of missed both ends. <laughs> but sometimes I find someone in that sweet spot who who understands those pieces. But it's basically, you know, examples it's case studies it's uh it's talking about work we did for applied materials so they had you know 3000 field service reps right and these techs had to go out and fix semiconductor fabrication plants right the chip manufacturing the chip fabs and so what they would do is they'd fill their truck with all these expensive parts because they didn't exactly know what the problem would be and then when they got into the plant Many times they had to go back to their, you know, back someplace. They couldn't even bring a, a laptop into the into the plant because they're ultra clean. So they have to go somewhere else to find the information. Then they had to look in 14 different systems to find the information they needed. So what we did is we created one system that you could look for the information you needed. And we had to structure all of the information, all of the content. That ended up reducing the time they spent uh, fixing, looking for information to fix the plants by 50%. They went from... Uh, uh, 16 hours per week to eight hours per week times 3000 field service reps ended up saving them about $50 million per year, you know, uh, and that made it into a Harvard uh, business review case study uh, or not a case study, but an article. And um, uh, which was recently selected from one of their archive editions, the best of HPR about data infrastructure. Is your data infrastructure ready for AI? 
And if you don't have those pieces, right, if you don't have those taxonomies, and, and when you take all the taxonomies and you put them together in your relationship, it's called an ontology. It describes the domain of knowledge, right? So for them, it was, you know, uh, part types and, and symptoms and assemblies and regions and uh, customer types. And I don't even remember all of them, but there was about 25 different uh, dimensions to, to those taxonomies. And all of that was foundational. We, you know, we built a virtual assistant for Allstate many years ago called Allstate Business Insurance Expert. And that had to do the same thing. We had to take the content and we had to tag it with all these different taxonomies, right? And, you know, business type and policy type and region and risk and, you know, uh, product and all, all the different things that, that they needed to find the answer, right, to underwrite a policy. And that was a very, very successful project because it started with that architecture. And that's what we're doing for organizations now, building digital assistants that really leverage this information architecture. So, so yeah, it, it, the book is about how to build these things, right? And, and it's, it's not just about AI, it's about all sorts of systems, but it's about how you use information architecture to prepare for AI, right? So it's really about what the business needs to do. How do you manage these things? How do you govern them, right? How do you do change management? You know, how do you build those architectures? How do you build use cases? Uh, there's lots and lots of different, you know, procedures and tables, lots of things that, that are really hands-on and very specific. And that's what people have liked about the book because it's kind of like a manual, you know, to doing a lot of these things. And And you were saying that people that are very technical, didn't find that it was technical enough. <laughs> and and those that aren't really into the technical side right. of things uh, thought that it was too technical. But some, some when, yeah. when, you know, I mean, you you got the Axiom Business book, Silver mm -hmm. Metal. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking that uh, you have, you though you might have a couple of critics, I, I'd <laughs> say that they're probably not that many. Yeah, there's actually a lot of very good feedback and a lot of five-star reviews on Amazon. And I've gotten a lot of you know praise for the book. So I'm being a little bit facetious because sometimes when I do talk to, you know, the people who are kind of in the weeds of, you know, really heavy data engineering and, and computer engineering and building out those algorithms and the, the real heavy hitter, you know, computer scientists, you know, it's not for them, right? Yeah. It's more for the business side to say, this is what you need to do before you're bringing those guys in. <laughs> and it's understanding the problem. It's understanding the business problem. It's understanding the use case, right? It's all of that stuff and how to measure it, how to measure business value. It's a big part of what I talked about is ROI. You know, how do you justify these things? So the executive that buys this book, mm -hmm. he gives it to his computer engineering team. Are they gonna be able to do what you do without you? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I just interviewed somebody the other day who said she's been using our material for years to for at her on her job, you know, to do the things that she does. So people can take that information and apply it. Yes. But many times in the large organization, you know, everybody has their day job. Right. And sometimes it just takes that, you know, external expertise, that external perspective. To, to really catalyze the project and get it going and bring in a team who are, who are specialists who can just knock it out, right? Because a lot of times organizations try some of these things, sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not. But the answer is I, a lot of people could, you know, use this to do it themselves. Um, I know my competitors do that. 
<laughs> they use a lot of our art stuff. I share a lot of our IP and I don't really care, but this is more that where that came from. But um, but yeah, you know, I think I think it depends on the business, right? It depends on on their current capabilities. We have maturity models, so many times we assess where they are. Like, what is the cap capability that you have today, and can you you know implement this stuff? Or if you can't, what do you need to do to get ready to implement it? And that's a lot of times what we do. We say, okay, here's your roadmap. Here's the things you got to start with, right? Whether it's us, whether it's them, whether it's another company, but here's what you got to start with. You got to get this foundation right. And here are the next things you need to do. And then here are the things after that. And then there's always got to be quick wins along the way. You always have to be able to say, you know, here's the business value, right? Can't just be the end of a big project. And, oh, here's your here's your nice Christmas present, right? You got to maintain buy-in. You got to maintain support funding. So you have to be able to show business value as you go. I asked that question, uh, well, for a couple of reasons, but I, I just think it's really interesting. Um, you can buy a book on just about anything and, right. and like you can find really good ones that will, if you follow it step-by-step, step, you can do what it's telling you to right. do. Not You don't necessarily want to do it, um, right. but being able to, well, knowing your craft so well that you mm -hmm. can lay it out and mm -hmm. walk somebody through it mm. is a skill all on its own and and shows a level of expertise and mastery that others don't have so it's almost like a resume in mm. my mind as you're mm -hmm. talking about your book um and yeah. and then you know i think about you know, plumbers or roofers, you mm -hmm. know, I could, I could read a book on that. It doesn't mean I want to do that stuff. Like that's, I leave it to the guys that do it all the time because they'll get it done a lot quicker right. and, and a lot better than I yeah. can do it. You know? And, you know, that's a really good point. And the story I like to say, that's a really, that's a great point, right? Like you can give me a cabinet maker's tool, tool bench. Doesn't mean I'm a cabinet maker, right? Yeah. Give me all the tools and give me all the instructions. It doesn't mean I can do it. Or, I remember that, to, and, and what that is, that's called tacit knowledge. That's the know-how that you get from experience. There's explicit knowledge, which is the stuff you write down. There's a tacit knowledge, which comes from experience. So an example of that is if you wanted to, you know, I had my office plastered, right? And you see those guys on the stilts and they, you know, they put the plaster on. But if you wanted to write down the steps, you take a big barrel, fill it with water, put plaster in, stir it up, put the plaster on a mortarboard and smoosh it on the wall, right? And smooth it out. And then, so that's it, you know, a bunch of steps. You can write it out a couple of pages. And I asked the plaster how long does it take to be proficient? And he said five years, three to five years, right? That's the difference between tacit and explicit, right? That's the difference between reading about it and understanding the steps versus being able to do it. And, and you're right, you know, it does, it does, you know, there's something that comes from the experience of doing it for so many years. Uh, when did you start your business? You, you said, you said Lotus and mm -hmm. I'm thinking 90s. Yeah. 90s. Yeah. Like 91, 92, 93. I mean, I, yeah. like I was I taking a, in, yeah. what was that? Lotus one, two, three or something That's like Lotus that. One, two, three. Yep. <laughs> yep. Lotus one, two, three. They had all those early uh, uh, desktop applications and then they had Lotus notes and that was in the nineties. Yeah. So it was like early nineties, 93, 94. And uh, so, yeah, so it's been, it's been a while. When you went to school, you said you, you studied chemistry. That's right. Yeah. Where was the transition? 
to 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 technology. Yeah. Well, I went to graduate school for business. I I got an almost MBA. I was a, a, a course short, and I remember the teacher saying it was market research. And he said nobody who has ever taken an incomplete in this class has ever completed it. And I also followed that. <laughs> and I, when I went back a couple of years later to finish, they'd changed their accreditation and I, they wanted me to start all over. And I said, I don't need to do that. So I had my almost MBA, two years full-time mark, uh, marketing concentration. So it was always about business and anything technical. Like, so the science scientist in me loves technology. I love to learn things and I love to figure things out and I love to solve problems. And it was really starting out by, you know, looking at knowledge, right? Because Lotus was really, Lotus Notes was really a knowledge management application. It was one of the first ones out there. And it was started with isness and aboutness, right? You had to define a document. You had to say, well, what is this document about? Then you had to define, it's called metadata, put the metadata on the document. So it was always about knowledge and knowledge processes and then understanding the business side, right? So I had done some consulting work out of graduate school, um, I worked for a small systems integrator, database management company, and I was in sales and marketing. And then I just learned and taught myself um, more and more. You know, I taught myself to learn to uh, uh, teach Lotus Notes and, and application development and systems administration. And sometimes I was only just a couple pages ahead in the book, you know, from the class, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but followed the process. And, you know, and, and whenever see people would ask me questions in class that I I knew I should know, but I didn't. Like they'd ask me a network uh, question and I'd say, who's our networking expert in the class, right? And I would turn it back to those guys. So I dodged those bullets that way. But, you know, there were times when they found, you know, big holes in my knowledge. And what was really interesting is I went, I I was teaching uh, classes, teaching, uh, and I got certified in Lotus Notes and, and application development one to systems administration. And I had to self-study and fill in a lot of my gaps because I didn't have traditional computer technology training. And I went to this company um, at the time where I was doing some teaching, <clears throat> but they were a consulting firm and I wanted to get a job. And I said, you know, I'd like to you know, work for you in marketing. He goes, well, why should I hire you? And I said, well, I'm a scientist at heart. I know how to learn, you know, I know business, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said, how much money do you want? And I said, $40,000. And this is big money back then. He goes, oh, that's way too much money for us. Number one, I build them over $100,000 that year just by teaching at the classes at their facility. And then he said to me, you will never, ever have credibility with a CIO, not a chief information officer. And, I said, and I'm like, hmm, okay, that's what he thought. Well, in 1998, I spoke at the Lotus IBM Technology Forum and it was a it was to do knowledge transfer between Lotus and IBM. I got the highest evaluation of the conference, and in the audience was the office of the CIO at IBM. Like I called down to Armonk, New York, because they were having trouble with Lotus Notes deployments, and I got grilled by ten people in the office of the CIO, and um, they ended up hiring us. And they called us their SWAT team. We ended up fixing their global deployments on some of these Lotus Notes applications, and so I went from you will never have credibility with the CIO to working, being the SWAT team of the most uh, well-known CIO in the world, right? Of IBM, you know, so. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, but don't let don't let people tell you you can't do something and don't let your background, you know, slow you down, stop you because you've never done it before. I never, I never did anything I never did, you know? Like when I first started the business, I didn't have any experience, you know? So if my team ever says, well, we've never done that, I'd say, well, we've never done anything, <laughs> you know, until we've done it, right? Well, for those future 
computer engineers out there, what advice would you give them? I think it's going to be really important to have people skills, you know, and to be able to understand business. And so a good combination is, you know, taking marketing, taking, uh, you know, learning business analysis, you know, being a, learning to be a business analyst, learning about interpersonal communications and relationships. It's really about people. You know, you're not going to, you may go to technology because you don't like people <laughs> or maybe you're too insecure around people, right? Maybe you just, it's easier to be in your own world, right? And a lot of technology people are like that. They're, they're in their world. They, they, they don't want to interact socially because of whatever reason, right? Whatever trauma or baggage, but it's really important to have those people skills. It's really important to learn how to communicate and to communicate your ideas and, and to interpret other people's ideas and to be able to uh, translate those into solutions, right? So I think, I think that's the most important thing. You know, it's going to get easier to do coding because there are so many no code applications. Of course, the algorithms, the deep, uh, you know, heavy duty uh, computer engineering algorithms are always going to be there for people to uh, optimize and to improve upon. But I think a lot of people who are going into technology, you know, you don't necessarily need that. You need people skills and you need to know how to do configuration. So you need to understand business problems and solutions. In your opinion, how best would, you know, an introverted computer engineer go mm -hmm. about gaining those, those people skills? Mm. Well, it's taking, I think it's taking humanities courses, right? I think it's taking literature. I think it's studying history. I think it's um, it's understanding uh, human nature, psychology, take psychology courses, right? Those are all the things that will help you, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, take creative writing, right? Take, uh, you know, English literature. I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's really rounding yourself out, you know, take courses that are not related to technology, but they're related to business and related to people. And, and of course, put yourself out there, right? Try for internships where you work with a business analyst, right? Um, and, and try to, you know, uh, stretch yourself, right? Try to, try to get outside that comfort zone and start networking early, you know, start um, connecting with people on LinkedIn, <laughs> you know, early in your career, you build those networks and, and those networks can, can be last a lifetime, those people, those connections. It's it's interesting because early in our conversation, we established that at the root of what you do is communication. That's right. Being able to pull information out of your clients to so that you're able to build what they need. That's right. That's right. That's all about communication. Yep. Interpretation. And it's <clears throat> and it's it good communication skills and transparency. And, and the other thing is, you know, always own your bad news, right? Always, if you have, uh, if you've not, you know, achieved something or something's going wrong, it's like, bring that bad news to the customer or to your boss, you know, never hide it, right? Own your bad news and be the one to call it out and manage expectations, right? If you can't make a deadline, say, say so before the deadline, <laughs> don't miss the deadline and then say, oh, I couldn't do it. You know, it's not, it's coming up. You can't do it. You got to set the, reset those expectations, right? So managing expectations is all about communication, right? And and being able to be honest and honest with yourself, right? Intellectually honest, and of course transparency and honesty are just 
core, you know, that that's those core values that, you know, you have to walk into your work environment with in any relationship with really. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that um, you feel is important to share with the audience before we go? Uh, I think we, we had a pretty far ranging conversation. You know, I think uh, if people are looking at AI from a business perspective, it's don't get snowed, don't get BS'd, right? Uh, know what the business value is, know what the inputs are, know what the outputs are, know what the business value is. If people say, oh, it's proprietary, or I can't explain that, or it's magic, or it's black box, you know, you, you need to know what the inputs and what the outputs are. You need to understand, you need to understand your process before you try to buy a tool, right? Because you can't automate a mess and you can't automate what you don't understand. So you need to understand that process then you can look for where AI can fit in. And that's when you can talk to vendors and say, I need to solve this specific problem. So don't be snowed by that. And, you know, if you're going into the into the field, you know, there's a lot of opportunity across many, many different areas. You don't have to have deep technical knowledge. You can do this from a business analyst perspective. Uh, but again, it's, it's it, you know, try to grow your skills and try to, you know, get outside your comfort zone. And uh, always, always be open uh, to learning new, new ideas and, and new things. I think, I think it's probably uh, something we can all apply. Now, for all those listening, uh, the best place to connect with you would be your website. Early, or LinkedIn. you can connect me on LinkedIn. I'm Seth Early, so just look me up. There's, I think there's only one Seth Early on LinkedIn. S E T H E A R L E Y. Don't forget the E before the Y. Or you can go to um, early.com and you can uh, contact me there. Or my email address is just seth at early.com. So my first name at lastname.com. But just Seth Early, you know, one one uh, all one word <laughs> on LinkedIn will do it as well. Or Seth.early on Instagram or some other Seth Early. I think there's one other Seth Early in the world, but I, but he's, uh, he's a young athlete. And I think he got the username Seth Early on some app. I think it was a fitness app. Might have been Whoop. <laughs> anyway but uh nice. this has been and a pleasure thank you so much for having me yeah likewise and, and for those that want to purchase your book uh the ai powered enterprise the axiom business book silver medal uh you know, amazon barnes and noble i'm sure all, yep. anywhere you can buy a good book yep find it there huh absolutely yep all right. Well, thank you so much, Seth. This was awesome having this conversation with you. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for having me, Dave. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.